Um, well, I'm excited. We are in week number four of a series, but it's really a lot more than a series. It's really the launching pad of this 24-month initiative that we called Arise, uh, Many Lives, One Movement. And, and we as a church, when we stepped in this year, and, and, and by the way, if you missed any of the messages, I explain bits and pieces every weekend. And so you would probably need to go back and watch the videos to get all the story. And you can go back. By the way, everything, mypathway.church forward slash arise. All the life group curriculum is there. All the sermon videos is there. The, the uh, CGI um, rendering of the building where you can kind of take a tour of the building is there. The video of the land is there. All that stuff is there. All these other videos that we've been playing. Um, it's all, we put it all right there, all for you. And so mypathway.church forward slash arise. All right. But hopefully you're keeping up and you can watch the video of the messages on the app or on YouTube or on our website. So, um, but here's what we came into this year and we just knew God was speaking. That it was time for our church to move forward and take our next step. And, and we, we know we can't stay here and we know building anything is about a two year process. And, uh, if you came to, that means we're at least going to be in this building, another Easter, and if you tried to get into any of the Sunday services at Easter, I apologize. And so um, the others were full. Sunday, people just sat on their neighbor. Anyways, um, so we, we obviously know we're out of kids' space. We don't have room for nursing mothers. We, you know, I, I, I used to go out in the, in the lobby between the services. I don't do that now because it creates a traffic jam because people stop to talk to me and there's no room for people to get in and out. And so between the exchange and services, all I do is create problems. And so, um, <laughs> so in our new building, we have a hospitality room. That's where I'll hang out and you can come you know, hang out with me there if you want to. And we have some cheese and crackers anyways. Um, <laughs> cause Jesus can bless some cheese and crackers. Anyways. Um, <laughs> how many like cheese and crackers? I like cheese and crackers with grapes. You know what I'm saying? Cause you need a little bit of the sweet and the salty. How many are with me? Like we went to Infinity War the other night with the family. We went to Infinity War. Um, it's a great movie that sucks. But anyways, that's just my review of it. Um, my kids are not probably would be happy that I said that. But anyways, um, no spoilers. That's just all I'm going to say. But we got popcorn. I have to put M&Ms in my popcorn. Does anybody else like that? That set you free, friend. It's like revival in a bucket. So anyways, um, in the new building, we have a place to hang out. Anyways, and we have a common area or a lobby area that will hold about five or 600 people. So anyways, that makes it a lot more fun. Um, anyways, we can't stay here. We're taking our next step. We're calling it a rise. It's the launching pad. And so we've been walking through a process together um, that really is going to set us on a course for the next 24 months. And so this series is about the next 24 months. And what we're saying over the next 24 months is we want to rise individually and corporately. And so from, from a, a, like, how are we going to do this? Well, here's what we did. We took what it, will op, what it will cost to operate the church. By the way, all this is in your Arise book, if you have your book. Um, we took what it will cost to operate the church. So that's all the ministry um, that we do to teenagers, kids, women, men, um, all the stuff we do, and I mean, goldfish and water and all, whatever, it's all in there, right? So it's our budget for two years. And then we said, what will it cost to build the building? 
Um, and that was in there as well. And then what do we want to do as far as outreach? And so we took all those numbers and added them up. And for the next 24 months, we said to do what God's called us to do for the next 24 months, um, it's going to cost $11.24 million. And it sounds like a big number. I don't want you to worry about the number. Okay, that's God's part. We're going to worry about what God's asking us to do. That's all I need you to worry about is what God is asking. I don't need you to worry about the number. And so we already had $500,000 because you guys are amazing and give so generously. Um, and so we're at $10.74 million to do everything God's called us to do in the next 24 months. And so, and you know, I've had people say, well, how, how much are we willing to borrow? We, we haven't crossed that bridge because we're not planning to borrow. Right? Um, I, I, for me personally, I think to do what God's... And, and Julie and I were having this conversation yesterday. Um, she said, why, why, why do you think we feel so strongly we need to do this without borrowing money. And I said, um, you know, I think, number one, I think it's a great testimony to our community that the church is alive and well and Jesus is alive and well. The tomb is still empty and God, God pays for what he uh, wants to do. And I said, and, but I said, secondly, I think it's because I, I, I'm just going to tell you what I believe in every um, person we've had come in from the outside to help us in this process has told us. Um, is that we have grown steadily. We've really never had any exponential growth. We've just kind of grown steadily from the very beginning, right? We had one season where we grew like 100 people in two months. It was weird. Um, we don't know. People have asked. I've had other church people, oh, how did you do that? Man, I don't know. The series wasn't that good. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. All of a sudden, just an extra 100 people showed up. So we don't, we don't really know, you know, but like this year, our Easter attendance was nearly 300 more than our Easter attendance last year. And, and so that's good, but that's not like exponential. No one's going to come in and interview us and write a book about that. That's just solid growth, right? Which I like, by the way. Um, and in our building, exponential growth would probably make our staff quit. So anyways, um, but I said, and what I said, I think it has to do with what's after that building. Um, and what I'll tell you is I, I think probably, and I've told the staff this, I think the day we move in, we'll double in size. And, and I said, I, I really think that for us, we want to do multiple sites and campuses and, and plant churches. And I, and I said, I think it, we, it, whether it's exponential growth, the vision will start moving exponentially faster. Um, and so I think that's, that's why, but, um, so that's what we're planning to do. Right. And, and, and so that's what it will cost. And, and I don't want you to worry about that. So what do I want you to worry about, I just want you to worry about your part. So one of the things you should have done if you were in a life group is this week after we did tribal anointing last week and you met with your life group, we asked everyone to go to page 37. In fact, it was in your, um, grow together, grow together section. And we ask everyone to go to page 37, and we ask you to fill out your plan to arise. How are you individually going to arise? And here's why I put this page in here, because I wrote this book. Here's why I put this page in here. Because you're 40% more likely to do what you write down. That's science, right? So when I really want to do something, I write it down. I make a plan. Because once I make a plan, it becomes a little more concrete. Like, okay, here's what we're doing right? We write our budget down. Right? So, so, so I hope that if you haven't yet, you can go to page 37 and you're just filling out your plan to arise. 
I mean, just follow the instructions and fill it out. What are you going to do over the next 24 months individually? What has God called you to do? And we put next steps up here and we, you can take your next steps, but your, your next step may be outreach and your next step may be to start a ministry and your next step may be to become a life group leader. Your next step could be inside a pathway or outside a pathway. Don't care where it is. Just want you moving forward. Does that make sense? Like my job here is like, I'm your life coach saying, Hey, Let's live the best life possible. Let's move forward, right? It's all I do, really, right? I'm really not necessary if you just do what God's called you to do. You don't even need me anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways, so I want you to do that. But how, people say, how, how's this gonna happen? Let me show you how this is gonna happen. I think it's gonna happen. Um, number one, in your book, we put this thing called the giving ladder, right? The giving ladder. And, and this is just a tool that we felt like, in fact, guys, if you want to put that on the screen, the giving ladder, it's a tool that, that we're using to help you. And, uh, and so what we felt like is there are five categories of people in a church. There's potential givers, people that could give, but they haven't for whatever the reason. Maybe they haven't seen that stewardship and discipleship are synonymous. Let me say that again. Stewardship and discipleship are synonymous. Stewardship and dis you cannot separate discipleship and stewardship. Can't do it. It's impossible. God's the best steward in the world. God's also the biggest giver in the world. Can't separate the two. And so when I give, the reason I give is because give, giving tempers me. It tempers my desires. It keeps me centered, right? It also develops the nature of God in me. It makes me look like God when I give. For God so loved the world that he gave. If I want to look like God, I give. If I want to look like Jesus, I serve. Right? I mean, it's so for me, this is about discipleship. We remember, we made the highest priority 100% participation. The money's secondary, right? Let me help you with this. If 100% of our church participates, I'll be okay if we miss the mark by $7 million. Like, if everybody participates and we come in at $3 million, I'm totally fine with that. At the same time, if someone came in today and wrote me a check for $11 million, I wouldn't tell you and I would do exactly what we're doing now. Because the process is more important than the money. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm just trying to get everybody to take a walk with me. Right? You understand? And so there are potential givers, um, people that... that um, maybe could give, but haven't seen the relationship between stewardship and discipleship, or they're not there and trusting God in their finance yet. They're emerging givers, people, they just give a little bit here and there, wherever they feel like they can or should, you know, $50 here, $20 there, $80 there, whatever. Then they're consistent givers, people that give in a consistent amount, but it's not what we call a tithe. Tithe givers for, give the first 10% of all of their increase, the first 10%. And, uh, and that's something that I think we're all called to do. Like I unashamedly will say, I want everyone in the church to get to tithe giver. Now you may not get there today. That's okay. I want that to be your goal. Here's why. Because there are blessings that it unlocks that I want you to have. Listen very carefully. If you start tithing today and you've never tithed, Pastor Marty doesn't get a raise. Okay. Doesn't change my, doesn't change my life at all. Right. I, I can tell you we're strong enough financially that I'm going to get paid next month whether you give or not. In fact, I can get paid for the next year or two without you giving. So we're, we're financially pretty strong, so I don't need you to give today because the staff and I want to eat. <laughs> I, I don't want something from you. 
I want something for you. And it's the same thing, it's the truth. It's the same thing that Paul told the Philippians. I'm so glad you gave, but what I'm excited about is the fruit that it produces to your credit. And so for me, I, I, I want everyone to try to get to tithe giver at some point in your life. Man, just trust God in that way, right? And then there's extravagant givers. These are people really where I'm at personally, where we give beyond our tithe. In fact, can I, can I tell you a couple of cool stories? Um, Julie and I have already made our commitment because we think leaders, being a leader, people say, what does it mean to be a leader? You go first. Like step one of being a leader, go first. Right. And so, so we went first and we filled out our uh, pledge card. It changed like three times. Um, our commitment card changed like three times, but we wanted, and not only that, Julie said, I feel very strongly. We need to go ahead and give the first check. I said, I'm all for it. Let's give the first check. So we already, number one with our pledge, and I told you this, when we bought the land, we gave all of our savings. When, when we came to the building, God said, I want you to commit all your savings. I said, okay. Then he came back and said, now I want you to change your budget. And I said, okay. And then he said, okay, now I want you to commit some of the savings you're going to save between now and the next 24 months. And so I did my commitment card so he couldn't change it anymore. <laughs> I, I saw a pattern. Every conversation we had, it got worse. And so we made our commitment. And I, and I won't tell you the amount, but I could tell you, you could buy a few cars with it. So I'm not talking about a small amount of money. It's the largest commitment we've ever made uh, in, in our lives. And so, because leaders go first, right? Now, can I tell you something cool? We gave the first seed of that. Within eight days, it was returned back multiplied. And so, so now we're praying about how much out of that to give. <laughs> it's like, well, God, how much you want us to give out of this? You know, I mean, it just, and like, we didn't see it coming. Like, I don't typically get checks like that. Like, it was wild. So anyways, and I'll just tell you this, it was from the government. And like, when the government gives you money, you're like, oh, Jesus, what happened? Anyways, um, so... <laughs> I'll tell you another cool story. Some leaders in our church, we got an email. They, they were making their commitment and already making their commitment and, and they were praying and they thought they had a number and they were going back and forth, finally got a number. Then at the last minute, the husband said, no, I want to increase the number. And the wife said, I just thought I'm going to be submissive, you know, and, and so they changed that number and they made their commitment. And then that next Monday, they got an insurance check and a new contract in business and God just started increasing them the next day. I mean, I'm just telling you, I, I, here's what I want you to do, on, on, and we're going to get to this. In fact, guys, I, all I ask you to do right here, let me help you, is identify where you're at and then ask yourself where God wants you to be. Like, better yet, ask God where he wants you to be. Don't ask yourself. Ask God where he wants you to be. And, and, and then here's the thing, because we did everything in one fund, your commitment is just one number. I'm not asking you to decide how much you're going to give to the building, how much you're going to give to outreach, how much you're going to give in tithe and offering. No, I just want you to come up with one number. In fact, here's how the commitment card looks. And, and guys, you can put that up there. And, and this, is how, this is how it works. So blank number one is what are we normally given a year? So that's all you're giving to, to Pathway, right? So whatever that is. And so let's just say in blank number one, uh, we'll take, um, you know, Brett and Sarah. Brett and Sarah, um, I, you know, for the last year or so have never really seen or trusted God in finances. And so I, on this blank number one, what are we normally given a year? They, they're like, well, we gave zero last year. We gave zero. And, and here's the thing. I'm totally okay with that. Can I just, what's the goal again? 100% participation. 
right? I'm okay if you put a zero in every blank and your commitment is zero. Just participate. Go through the process. Does that make sense? And so Brett and Sarah gave zero dollars last year, but now they're praying and they're like, you know, we want to get to tithe giver. That's such a big jump. We don't know that we can trust God to that extent yet. We're still young and new in our faith, et cetera. But they're like, you know what we could do? Uh, we have a household income of about $80,000 a year. Uh, we could do $5,000. Like we, we could do $5,000. And so on this next blank where it says our additional annual giving, they're like, we're going to do $5,000. Like we can't, we can't really trust in that tithe yet but we're going to take that next step. And so, um, by the way, last weekend, uh, we had seven families give for the first time to the kingdom of God through Pathway. And um, <laughs> that's 14 families in four weeks. Well, three weeks. That's incredible. Like, thank you guys for praying here in God and taking your next steps. I don't know how to say anything other than that. I just celebrate that. Because when you're giving, it's changing. You know, the Bible talks about giving uh, three times more than love. And most of the scriptures about giving talk about what it changes in you. Like the Bible talks about love about 700 times. Love is in the Bible. Giving's in the Bible like 2,100 times. And most, yeah, that's pretty strong. And most of the references of giving talk about how it changes you. It doesn't talk about how it changes the other person. So just anyways. Just tidbit. So I celebrate it. So, so here, back to Brent and Sarah, Brett and Sarah, Brent and Sarah, whatever their names were. Um, Brett and Sarah, <laughs> these are not real people. <laughs> Anyways, Brett and Sarah said, we're going to give $5,000. And so they said, our new norm giving is going to be $5,000, right? Because zero plus 5,000 is 5,000. Pretty simple math. And then they said, but this is a 24-month commitment. So if you times two, that's $10,000. So Brett and Sarah are making a big jump, zero to a $10,000 commitment. But there are also people, they've been frugal, they've saved. And so this next blank, gifts from their stored resources. All right, so on week seven, that's when we're gonna find out where we're at and we're all gonna give a first fruits offering. And so they're like, hey, on week seven, we're gonna, we're gonna take $2,500 out of savings and we're gonna give that on week seven, right? And so now, now we put their total commitment is actually now $12,500, and man, we celebrate that maybe they're not a tithe giver. They're $80,000 a year income. But look at the jump that they made. Man, that's incredible. And so that's, the, that, that's all that. Listen, I want you to make, let me tell you how to make this easy on yourself from experience. Let me tell you how to make it easy. There are two ways to go about this. You can sit down and scrutinize over it and get your spreadsheets and your calculator and your bank statements and your pay stubs. And you can try to determine what makes sense to you. Or you could just pray and ask God. And, and I'm going to tell you, I think you're going to make it a lot easier on yourself. You just pray and ask God. And, and because if you try to do all the work yourself, you'll leave here thinking, I don't know, did I hit the heart of God for me? And remember, I don't want you to do more than God's called you to do. And I don't want you to do less than God's called you to do. And the only way to find that middle is to ask God what he's calling you to do. Right? And so that's all, and th listen, this is how we're going to do it. So next weekend, week five, we're going to come and, and I want you to, to have your number. There's a, there's a, um, there's a connect, we, we ha we'll have commitment cards for you next weekend, but there's an example here so that you can work through it if you want to. Um, but I want you just to, I want you to just pray and seek the Lord, ask God, and I just want you to, to walk in what he says right? And I feel like if we all do that, we're going to be real close, right? 
That's what I really feel like. I feel like God's going to do it. And if we're all obedient, the rest is on him. Right? Like it's his problem then. Like, do you know why I try to walk in obedience? Because it makes everything else his problem. Pretty, pretty simple. And, and by the way, and I, I shared this last weekend, but we live this as a church. We, last week, we sent a check for $50,000 to another church plant that's trying to get a building and get it remodeled. We did. That's you and I. We wrote the check. Because we, we live it. It's not, good, not a good idea to give away $50,000 uh, when you're trying to raise $10 million. But it sure is great kingdom strategy. And you need to understand, first and foremost, we're about the big C church more than the little C church. Right? And so, anyways, God's moving. Amen? So that's how we're going to do it. So be here next weekend. It's going to be awesome. Um, man, I just can't wait to see what God does through us. Amen? Oh, he's so good. Um, <laughs> why don't you get your Bible and turn me to Genesis? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to continue our series around Arise, kind of our launching pad series. And, and when, I, when I wrote it, I kind of, from, from all my study of people and churches and ministry and the Bible, I, I kind of thought, well, if I were going to help people really step into what God called them to do, what, what would I tell them? Right, and I kind of, I kind of picked a, a five-part process. Now, week six is a bonus. It's a bonus. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it will make you throw your baby out of the balcony. <laughs> but that's a bonus, and we're not talking about that right now. We're just talking about week four. Um, and and so we started with this idea of defining moments. If I'm going to do what God's called me to do, I have to step into those defining moments that I can't, I can't stay in my comfort and step into my calling at the same time. I've got to step out of my comfort to step into my calling. And we're using Abraham as a background because to me, he's a, he's a great picture of the life of faith. And that's what we're all called to live. He's the father of faith. So he's kind of the origin of it and the example of it. Um, and so we talked about defining moments and then we talked about the power of trust that, hey, if I'm going to follow God, I, I can't lean on what I understand. I have to learn to trust in God. And those work against each other, right? What I understand and just trusting in God. Because God hasn't asked me to understand everything. Truthfully, he's not even given me the capacity to understand everything, right? Once you understand God, you've done one of two things. Either you've become God or you've reduced God to your size, and then the last week we talked about the why, and we talked about understanding our why. And I wanted you to know the why pathway, because if, if you don't understand pathway, you might think that the why pathway is to have church services or life groups or kids ministry. That's what we do. That's not why we do it. And it's very important. The why is more powerful than the what, right? And we talked about why, because truthfully in the kingdom, you need to know who you are, why you are, and then what you do. And so with Pathway, our goal is not to have church services. That's what, what we do, but there's a why behind it. And you can listen to all these online or watch them online. Um, but this weekend, I, I want to talk about, to me, and, and kind of building up, because this weekend um, is, to me, to me, it's probably the hardest and the strongest, but it produces the most. Because I want to talk this weekend about the power of surrender, 
the power of surrender. And we're going to look at Abraham. So I'm going to read a lot of scripture, but this is a very familiar passage because this is where Abraham takes Isaac, the promised son, and God says, I want you to take him up on a mountain and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And, and I want to say this in, in the very beginning. Um, number one, this isn't a good model for parenting. Not a parenting sermon. Maybe you've wanted to sacrifice one of your children before, but we won't talk about that. It's not good to mention that. Um, but it's not a good model for parenting. But number two, um, I, my concern is sometimes that passages in the Bible become so familiar that we lose the gravity of them. And, and so when, when I study, I always try to read it like I've never read it before. And so I kind of want you, I know you probably, if you've been around church, know the story that I'm about to read. I'm going to read most of it. But I, but I want you just to back up for a minute and let's let God speak to us and, and just walk through it together. Does that sound good? So in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham. Time out, time out. Um, God doesn't tempt us. James makes that clear. But God does test us, right? And, and I think sometimes we don't talk about this enough. But if, if you walk with God, you know, I don't know, longer than a week, then God is going to test you. And he's going to test you for two reasons. Number one, he's going to test you so you can see where you're at. Because faith, I'm going to help you with something. The best place for faith to be seen is in a test. Right? Strength is never seen until it's tested. The reason they had us max out on weights when we were in high school is because until you, until you put enough weight on, you don't know how much strength you have. It's a test. The second reason God tests you is because he wants, he wants to see if he can trust you with more. See, God's not going to give you something that will ruin your life. So he tests us to see if he can trust us. So God tests us, all right? And so... God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Now I want to point something out is every time God talks about Isaac, he says, your son, your only son, your son, your only son, your son. It's like three or four times through here. I want you to understand that God understands what we value and he understands how hard it is for us to surrender and it's almost what we value and he asks us to surrender. He respects the extraordinary value that that has. Because he didn't just say, hey, take out. He said, take your son, your only son. And I think God very much knew the value of an only son. So, <laughs> so take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. I love that. I love that because we're taking a test. Moriah, I have a daughter named Moriah, so I know what the name means, but it means God is my teacher. So God's like, you know, get your pencil. We're going to class. There's going to be a test. And so he said, go to the land of Moriah and offer him and it's a burnt offering on the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose. Everybody said arise. Went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw from afar. And then Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Time out, time out. There's a lot of people that think Isaac was a baby. Okay, babies don't carry wood up mountains. 
right? Most theologians believe that Isaac was somewhere between 20 and 30 years old. He could have been as young as 18 and as old as 30. No one knows for sure, but we'll just go with 20. It's a good, happy number, right? And so he, he puts the wood on Isaac and Isaac carries the wood up the mountain. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, he said, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He said, God will provide for himself a lamb. And so they went together. Verse 9, when they came to the place that God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Time out. I always read this and I think about, um, I've often said my, my kids will end up in counseling because they're my kids. And, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm messed up, right? And so, and by the way, your kids probably need to go to counseling too. Um, but, but, but I just think about Isaac in counseling and the counselor saying, well, tell me about your childhood. And he's like, well, you know, first of all, there's, my dad came back with this revelation about circumcision, tried that on me. And, um, uh, then when I was about 20, I, I carried, you know, wood up a mountain. And next thing I know, dad's tying me up and putting me on the altar and about to stab me with his knife. And, um, uh, Thank God the angel showed up or I wouldn't even be here to try to figure this out. You know, anyways. Um, so verse nine says, uh, then verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, in behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time. By the way, you should note this. I'll get back to it at the end. Verse 16, he said, by myself, I have sworn declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand of the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Uh, the, power of, the power of surrender, the power of surrender. I, I love this passage because it's so crazy to me. Um, I also love it because it says, to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord. In other words, this is not just something that happened then. It is relevant today. To this day it is said that when we walk in surrender, we see God's provision. To this day it is said. In, in other words, it's a principle for us. I think Abraham's life is a principle for us. And, and when we look at surrender and the life of faith, can I tell you something that I personally believe? I don't really believe we grow in faith as much as we grow in surrender. I really don't think we grow in faith as much as we grow in surrender. In fact, I would say if you walk with God at all, if you, and let me say it this way, if you really walk with God, I'm not, having, I'm not saying have a casual association with God in church, but if you walk with God, and there is a difference. If you walk with God at all, let me explain how it works. You just go from surrender to surrender. When you look at Abraham, he's first, God talks to him in the land of Ur and, and Abraham has to surrender and move with his family and they stop in Haran. Then they have to leave Haran and they go to Canaan. So he had to surrender his home, his house, his family. 
Then the next thing you know, Abraham has to surrender his finances because he's the first tither in the Bible beside God. And I do think God's a tither because he gave the first to redeem the rest. And so I think that's why Hebrews 7 talks so strongly about tithing, that we, when we tithe, we put the money in, in the box here, but it goes into Jesus' hands there, and it's witness that he's alive. Because I think it's so personal with God. And so, but Abraham's the first person to tithe besides God. And then, by the way, then Isaac tithes, then Jacob tithes. So it starts this generational thing. But, but, but he meets Melchizedek and gives him a tithe of everything he has, 10%. And, and then Abraham has to surrender his plans and he has to surrender his hopes, his dreams. I mean, it's just, and then we get to this place where he finally has the promise. And then God says, I want you to surrender the promise. And so I don't think we grow in faith. I think we grow in surrender. I think surrender, listen to me very carefully. Surrender is how you walk into your destiny. There's not another path. The, The only road that leads to your calling, purpose, and destiny that God established for you when he formed you in your mother's womb, let me tell you what the road is called. Surrender. There's no other way. I, I can tell you in, in the last eight years of leading this church, I can tell you all it is is a journey down the road of surrender. But when we walk in surrender, we get to see God's greatest powers. We get to see God's greatest power when we walk in surrender. We get to see God's greatest miracles when we walk in surrender. And so uh, that, that's what I want to talk about today. And so there's three things you might want to write these down as we talk about surrender. And, and I can tell you from last night, um, the message is a little bit deep. We're just going to work it in. We're going to marinate in some truth. Amen. And so, and so the first thing I would write down is this, is that surrender always deals with our heart. Surrender challenges our heart. Surrender challenges our heart. Um, I, think, I think when it, when it comes to surrender, let, let, me, let me help you with something. When it comes to surrender, um, the, the challenge is not really laying down sin because we're going to, this is believers, right? So we're going to talk about believers, right? Now, if you're an unbeliever and let me help you with something. If, if you're struggling with laying down sin, like you just love sin so much, then, then you have to get to an altar there. Like there's a kind of, a, I hate to say it, but a salvation experience needed there. Um, but for, for most believers, we know we need to lay down sin. That's not a big secret. And for people who really want to follow the Lord, if you're struggling with sin, you're trying to lay it down. Like you're fighting with it. You know, you're trying to get help. You're talking to your life group. You're, you're doing what you can, right? I think when it comes to surrender, the challenge of surrender is not laying down sin. The challenge of surrender is actually laying down blessing. John 15 talks about fruitfulness and it talks about pruning and all these things. And it says, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And when we abide in him, we produce fruit. And, and what I realize in that passage is that whole passage is about the relationship of the vine and the branches. It's the relationship the branches have with the vine. My concern is in Christendom nowadays, especially in the, worst, the Western church, we focus more on the relationship between the branches and the fruit. Like we're infatuated with fruit. 
I want to prosper. I want to be blessed. I want to, you know, I, you know, and, and the whole idea of getting to the fruit is all about your relationship with the vine. And, and what, what really, to be honest, the greatest threat to your relationship with God is, is, is the thing that he blesses you with. I've seen it. I've watched people come to church. They're faithful and they're praying and they're praying for a promotion or financial increase or for a relationship. I had a couple that came to this church, got married, never saw them again. Because they finally got that thing they'd prayed for. The threat to your relationship with God is usually the thing he blesses you with. And the question that God, the reason he tests us, what God's trying to determine is, what can I bless you with and you not use it to move away from me? What can I bless you with and you don't use it against me? I watch debates sometimes um, between, you know, like apologists and atheists and... and, um, and so like there's this guy, Christopher Hitchens, who is brilliant and so, he is so brilliant, he's stupid. And I thought, my God, he uses the brain and the IQ that the creator almighty gave him against God every day of his life. So what can God bless you with that you don't use it against him? See, I have a theory, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it's my theory, and I have a microphone, so that makes me the authority. Anyways, <laughs> but I have a theory, is that we see some conversations between Abraham and God, and then Isaac is born, and for 20 years, there's not a conversation. And then the next conversation is, hey, Abraham, I'm going to need you to take Isaac and kill him. And, and I think for God, I think the question was, hey, Abraham, has Isaac taken the place in your heart that I'm supposed to have? Because we miss this, that when the Bible talks about God, it says he's a jealous God. Um, God does not cohabitate with your idols. He will not be one of your gods, right? He's a jealous God. Like we see that in the Old Testament. He is a jealous God. And so he's not going to cohabitate with my idols. He's not going to be one of my gods. He's the only God or he's not God. But he doesn't, he doesn't share that title. He doesn't share that place. And I think most of the time the test of surrender is all about dealing with the things that God is concerned are starting to rival him in our hearts. I think a lot of times surrender, surrender a lot of times is how God identifies the idols of our heart. And listen to me, if it's difficult to put on the altar, it's in danger of becoming an idol. If it's difficult to put on the altar, it's in danger of becoming an idol. Uh, I think this is the reason the Bible talks so much about giving. Because God knows the brokenness of our flesh and he also knows what we value. And if you're sitting here and you're saying, oh, I don't value money, okay. It's just me and you. We're friends. Let's lie to our mamas, but let's not lie to each other. Because we live in an economy where if you don't have money, you don't eat. You don't have a place to live, Right? I agree money should not be valuable at all, but let's just be honest for just a minute. If it's not valuable, then you write a check today for everything you have. 
right? I mean, this is just called truth, right? Like if it has no value, then great. It should be no problem to empty out all your accounts. Just leave it in the offering box on your way out. Praise God. I think it's got a little value. And I think, unfortunately, it can become so valuable. And I know money won't make you happy, but sometimes I've, even in my life, said I'd love to try it, you know, just to see. <laughs> right? Um, you know, somebody went $100 million in the lottery. I don't play the lottery personally because I don't think it's good stewardship, but that's me. I'm not judging you if you do, but if you, if you do win $100 million, if you'll tithe, we'll build a building. Um, but... But in fact, if you win the lottery, you should tithe. You need to redeem that money. You need to redeem it. <laughs> but, but I've heard people say, well, that money won't make them happy. I'm like, well, I'd like to try. I don't know. Just curious to see. I, you know, may not, but I'd love to. The point is, the point is, is that I think the reason God speaks to us about giving a lot of times is because he knows. He knows that that can be something that moves us away from him. And, and that's why he talks about giving the tithe, the first 10%. Why? Be- because I'm returning to him what he's put in my hand so that I keep remembering whatever I have in my hand came from him. Do you see that? See, the, the tithe actually keeps me connected to God so that as much as he blesses me, I know where it came from. Right? Without the tithe, I start disconnecting the blessing from the blesser. See, that's the danger of it. So to me, this is why I'll forever tithe is because I want to make sure that, ooh, I want to make sure my treasure and my heart stay together. Um, and so to me, the, to, to, for me personally, I think the tithe is a test because it's 10. People say, why 10%? Should have been 7%. That's the perfect number. Yeah, but 10 is the number of testing. There were 10 plagues in Egypt. Jacob's wages were changed 10 times. I mean, there, you can see all these 10s. And 10 is always the number of testing. And I, so I think every time God puts something in our hand, he said, now you get to take a test. On who you're going to honor and thank for what just got put in your hand. And you're going to get to take a test on whether you're going to let what I just put in your hand move you away from me or move you to me. Right? (laughs) Sometimes I want to say, hey, if money's not so important, why do church people get so ticked off when we talk about it? Like the maddest I've ever seen Christians is when you start talking about money. It's like, really? Like we can talk about abortion. You're like, yeah, that's a bad thing. Somebody says, hey, you ought to consider being a tithe. My God, he's in my business. What's wrong with that guy? Here's the second thing. If we're, hey, if we're going to keep it real, might as well have a little fun in the process. Amen. Here's the second thing. is I, you know, I think surrender deals with our heart, but I think surrender is also seen through our obedience. Here's what surrender looks like, obedience. Here's what I love about Abraham. Genesis 22.3, it says, so Abraham rose early. I can tell you I would have failed this test. Like, I'm not proud. I'm just being honest. If God would have said, I want you to take, like when, 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 um, when we, Julie and I weren't able to have kids um, because of some complications she had as a child. And, and so we knew going into it, we're not going to be able to have kids. We're going to adopt. And then we were married like four months and found out we were having a kid, <laughs> right? And his name is Luke Preston. 
um, which is he's bearer of light and priestly. And so he's probably going to end up preaching someday. Anyways, uh, bless his heart. And so, um, and so um, I could just imagine if that were the only child we had and we knew it took a miracle because it is a verified miracle. We have, we have three children, one adopted and, and then two that we had. We can't tell you which is which, but what I can tell you is for the, the two that came biologically, we have verified in all counts and cases before and after, it's still impossible for us to have children. And so, and, and then we have um, <laughs> the princess. Um, my little diva. And uh, she's the boss. Anyways, um, if you see a family picture, you could probably pick out that one of these things don't look exactly like the other. She's Asian for the, the don't know. Anyway, so anyways, all right. So she doesn't know it though the other day. She was telling her mom that she was white. And, um, and Julie's like, honey, you're not. You're, uh, you're Asian. You're not. Anyways, never mind. So anyways, um, interesting conversations with 13-year-old girls. Anyways, but, but the point is, is, is that um, if God would have said, hey, I want you to take your son, your only son, and go slay him on an altar, I can tell you my life story would not read like verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. I used to say, man, I straight up fail that thing. I'd be like, what? You know, <laughs> like, no. But it said he, he rose early the next morning. You see, here, here's what I want you to understand about obedience that I think sometimes we miss, especially in churches and religion and all that kind of stuff. Obedience, the focus of obedience is not on the what you do. The focus of obedience is always on the who asks you to do it. Let me, let me explain it a different way. Obedience is relational. It's not a formula. And I think sometimes in churches, we, we make obedience look like a formula. And there, there are definitely things that we follow God in that, that everyone should follow God in, right? I mean, we should try to live righteously. I mean, there's just, you, do you see what I'm saying? But, but when it really comes to the life of surrender, obedience isn't, isn't just a formula. In other words, God's not asking us to do what someone else did. He's asking us to do what he's asking us to do. And obedience is about what is he asking me to do, not what is he asking someone else to do. Uh, let me give you an example. You remember this guy in the Bible? Is, we don't know his name, but he's called the rich young ruler, right? And, and he comes to Jesus and he says, I want to follow you. You're the man. And Jesus said, okay, well, if you want to follow me, keep the commandments. And he said, I've kept them all since I was a boy. And then Jesus says this to him in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Then Jesus said, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Let me help you son. Jesus never one time in scripture told anyone else to do this. He didn't ask Peter to sell his house. I mean, Peter left his boat but he didn't ask Peter to write a check for everything. Like there is no one else that Jesus encounters that he asked to do this, but he asked this young man to do it. Why? Why? Because God is a master at finding the idols in our hearts. Because the Bible said, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. In other words, here's what Jesus said. I know you want to follow me, right? But there's something already in my place. 
And, and if you're going to let me there, you've got to get that out. And by the way, it doesn't have to be money. It can be a relationship. It can be a position. It can be a status. Here's what Jesus said. Hey, surrender, obedience, these things are relational. I've watched God do weird things. Like I have one family saying, hey, God spoke to us, said we had to get rid of all of our televisions. We can't have TV anymore. And, and then someone literally on the other side of the building will say, you know what? God blessed us this week. We won some kind of crazy thing we didn't know we were signed up for. Got a whole new theater system put in our house. It's incredible. God's blessing us. And they're both right. God blessed them with it and told them to get rid of it. Is because God, God knows how to deal with our hearts. And surrender, when it comes down to the bottom line, all surrender looks like is obedience. Surrender is not where we stop doing everything. Abraham had to go chop some wood, get his son, get a knife, some fire, his servants, a donkey, and climb a mountain. So I'm going to argue surrender doesn't mean we just become a bump on the log. Surrender means when he told the rich young ruler, take up your cross, here's what surrender means. It means when my desire and God's desire differ, I go with his desire. That's what surrender means. I think the first key of surrender, by the way, is being willing to hear. Right? I just had to be willing to hear. The, the second key of surrender is being willing to do. And I'm going to add something onto that, being willing to do when you're supposed to do. Because, listen, delayed obedience is disobedience. And partial obedience is disobedience. And so when we're talking about surrender and obedience, it's like, am I, first of all, I have to be willing to hear God, right? And listen, okay, I'm, we're gonna be, can we be honest, just you and me? It's just us here. Haven't we all had those times where we don't really pray because we think we know what he's going to say? I have, I have. Listen, I'm just straight up being honest with you. I have, right? Like, I ain't praying about that. No, not going to do it. Not going to do it, God. Right? And eventually it gets to where you can't even talk to him because he's like, no, 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 we're going to talk about it. No, we're not. Yes, we are. Well, if we're not going to talk about that, we're not going to talk about anything. Well, fine then. Anyways. Right? So, so the first step in obedience is being willing to hear. And the second step is being willing to do. He said, take now. So there's something to do and there's when to do it. Take now your son. Right? Take now. What do I do? Take your son. When? Now. Can I help you with something? Most of the time, listen to me, when it comes to obedience, we're not stuck because we don't know what to do. We're stuck on whether or not we're going to do it. Well, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Like most of the time, like I, I wish for me, I, you know, there are times, I mean, there are times I was like, man, I just don't know what God's called me to do. But there are many times in this area of surrender, right? This area of surrender. There are many times where we're not really stuck on what God wants us to do. We're stuck on if and when we're going to do it. <laughs> Here's the third thing. And this is really, to me, the most powerful thing. Is that surrender releases the power of God. This, to me, is why it's so important. Remember, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to have your own testimonies. I want you to have your own encounters with God. And 
surrender is, is in, in fact, what releases power of God. In, in Genesis 22, 11, I'll read a little bit. We read it a moment ago, but we'll go back over it. It says, and at that moment, the angel Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, he said, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him. Watch this. For now I know. Let me say, you passed the test. For now I know that he's not in my spot in your heart. Now I know. And not only do I know, you know. That, that you truly fear God. And you've not withheld even your son, your only son. Now watch this. Then. When? After surrender. Then. Take now, okay? Then. Then. See, not to be rude, but, but we're Westerners, so we usually want the then before the take now. Right? I got, if I'd win the lottery, I'd tithe. No, you wouldn't. If you can't tithe on $10, you're not going to tithe on $10 million. Don't lie to yourself. I'll never forget it. This guy came forward. I was young and at the church and and I was on, you know, that's when the pastors did all the praying. And so I was at the front. And I'm like 21 years old. And we're in this church. And, and this guy comes forward. And he, hey, Pastor, will you pray with me? I, I want to tithe, but I just make so much money. It's just hard. And I said, like, bless your heart, moron. And no, I didn't say that. Anyway, so, so with me and all my stupidity, I said, oh, God reduce this man's income to the level that he would be comfortable tithing to you. <laughs> I don't think brother was in agreement on that because I opened my eyes and he's like. <laughs> Most of the time we want the then before the take now. And so then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket. And so he sacrificed it. And he named the place Jehovah-Jireh, right? And he said, this is what we'll say to this day. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. See, the place where Abraham took the greatest step of surrender is the place where he received one of the greatest revelations of provision. See, God had always been a provider. But Abraham didn't have that revelation on this mountain, this place of surrender. See, it's a beautiful picture because the whole time Abraham is walking up one side of the mountain in surrender, God is marching up the other side, the provision. He didn't see it. He couldn't see the ram coming up the other side of the mountain. He was marching up his side of the mountain. Listen, when, when, when God sets the level of surrender, he also determines the level of provision. Now, when I set the level of surrender, I'm responsible for the level of provision. But when God sets the level of surrender, he becomes responsible. Why do we walk in obedience? Because then it's his problem. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, you need to understand, and we see it here, but God doesn't ask for anything because he's wanting to take from us. In fact, we read it here. It says, verse, uh, Genesis 22, verse 16, he says, by myself. Now, I love this verb, the way he says it's by myself. In other words, we would say, you know, so help me God. And God says, so help myself. 
In other words, what he's saying is, if I don't do this, I'm not who I say I am. That's what he's saying. If I don't do this, I'm not who I say I am. He said, by myself I have sworn to close the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, I will bless you and I will multiply you. Do you see that? God, anytime he's asking us to surrender something, it's because he's wanting to give us something better. Um, anytime he asks us for something, it's because he has something more for us. You have to understand that, that surrender is what enables God to bless us to the degree that he desires. Right? Um, and, it, and it's powerful. Let me, let, me just, let me just tell you this. Verse 17, we miss so many times, but verse 17, in fact, guys, can you put that back up there, verse 17? Um, verse 17, we miss because it says, I will surely bless you and I will multiply you. And your offspring will be like the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. But look at this last little phrase in verse 17. It says, and your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. Now, listen, I've been waiting for like three months to tell you this. But here's what God tells Abraham. Because you walked in surrender, my promise and covenant is your family will never lose. Your offspring will possess the gate of their enemies. In other words, the gate, by the way, is the strong fortified. In other words, wherever there's a stronghold of the enemy, your offspring get to, in other words, where the enemy has put a stronghold of sickness, your offspring get to walk in health. Where the enemy has put a stronghold of poverty, your offspring get to walk in prosperity. Where the enemy has put a, a stronghold of depression, your offspring get to walk in joy. That because you walked in surrender, your offspring get to possess every stronghold of the, your family never loses again because you walked in surrender. You see, listen, the generations that come after us, they don't start where they start. They start where we surrender. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you with me? See, I, like my grandfather never had a church as big as Pathway. He never preached at a church as big as Pathway, right? My dad, the same, except when he speaks here. But here's the thing. They walk lifestyles of surrender that's caused my family to be able to win in areas. They did the work and I got to walk in it. And now for me and my family, I'm gonna walk in surrender so that my kids get to possess the gates of their enemies, right? How do you beat the gate of your enemy? You surrender. You want proof? Jesus in the garden. Lord, I'd rather this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, my will, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And here's what Jesus said. Because I surrendered there, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. You see what I'm saying? Like when we walk in surrender, we possess the gate of our enemy. Listen to me very carefully. I don't think hell's worried about a church full of people. I think hell's extraordinarily scared of a church full of surrendered people. Hell doesn't know what to do with surrendered people. Right? I didn't know what to do with surrendered people. And for me, if we're going to arise, if we're going to step into what God's called us to do, whatever that is, for you individually, for us together... It's a lifestyle of surrender. It's taking the next step. We don't have to worry about five steps later. What is the next place of surrender that God's called us to? And when God calls us to that place of surrender, when we step into it, the effects are generational. 
That's a good word. <laughs> Why don't you stand?